Again, everyone, welcome to another episode of Cranked and Ranked. I'm Stephen, and joining me as usual is Mr. Eddie Sparks. Say hello, sir. Fucking Judas Priest! <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, so we're going to cut right to the chase. I, I, I'm, I don't want to fuck around because we have a lot to get into, <laughs> even though this is going to be the first in a three-part episode arc (laughs) yeah it's Um, a big one (laughs) it's a big one so we this is our first really massive discography that we're going to be covering and we're going to be covering all 18 albums by the classic heavy metal band judas priest did i say judas judas priest (laughs) (laughs) i added a t where there didn't need to be a t but um yeah, so let's not fuck around because we're basically splitting this up to six albums per episode. But uh, I feel like this will probably be, probably be the most interesting episode because we're this is the bottom six. This is the which is, <laughs> this is when the you're talking drama one. Yeah, when you're talking <laughs> eighteen albums, um, I, I I don't I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But um, First off, I guess uh, we'll we'll set the stage. So why don't you give an intro to where you began your Judas Priest journey? Cool. Um, for me, Judas Priest, you know, it, it bit of a disclaimer. I have kind of a bittersweet relationship with Judas Priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came to me during a quite a difficult time in my life. You know, I won't divulge. I just wanted to get that off my chest. But I feel like they're one of those old school bands that I should just love. And I do, but I have a complicated relationship with their music. But I feel like this whole like two to three week undertaking of going back through and listening to their albums today, and some of them I haven't listened to since that time, and I feel like I'm finally able to get over some of that shit from back then. And th- this has been good for me. It's been quite it's cathartic. Been c- cathartic, yeah. That's going to yeah. say that. Interesting. So... Um, so yeah, th- it's interesting that you say that because, um, this will be an interesting episode for, for those of you who are joining this, that are uh, big Judas priest fans. Um, you're, you might get a little bit of a different take today because, you know, you just heard what Eddie had to say, but my experience with Judas priest is very minimal. Um, <laughs> they were a band that as I grew older in, in the 80s, and I would see music videos and hear songs here and there. They were a band that never connected with me. Um, oh, wow. I Never, never. They're, they're a band that I've never been into. Um, and I, I realized as I went through these albums that I can... I only I think I've only heard two Judas Priest albums all the way through prior to to preparing for these episodes. <laughs> that was wow. British British Steel and Painkiller were the only two I had heard. And Painkiller the the song has always been a song that I really loved, but it was one of those yeah. things where I'm like, well, I don't I'm not really into Judas Priest, but that Painkiller song is pretty fucking sweet. So <laughs> it's it's been a thing where 
over the years and you know and I'm a I'm a huge music collector and fanatic and you know it has nothing to do with the the age of the band because there are bands from the 70s that I absolutely love it's just that none of the music ever really grabbed me and said you need to get into this band it never happened so that being said the way that I approached preparing for these episodes is so obviously I went and listened to all 18 albums but I listened to them in order so I could kind of take myself back and go, well, what if I had started listening to Judas Priest when they started? And, yeah. and, I, and I lived through the experience of them growing and how they changed through the years and, and became the band that everybody knows today. And so I did it that way. I, I, the only information I looked up about the albums was the original track listing. So I made sure I wasn't listening to any bonus tracks or anything like that. And I didn't read anything about any of the albums. I based this solely on my musical experience with these albums. And uh, as I was telling Eddie earlier, I have, I, had, I have a dedicated page for each album I listen to. And one side is listed as the pros. One side is listed as the cons. And at the end of the, of the listening, I gave it kind of a score. And then it ended up becoming my list. So this is not the same kind of episode you guys are used to because this is not me going super in depth in something that I've heard hundreds of times. This is, <laughs> this is somebody's first experience fully diving in to Judas priest. And so, um, that I, that's really all I have to say. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm basically a newbie. Um, even though I'm a guy that's been listening to this shit, you know, this kind of music for, for, Oh, you know, 35 plus years. So, um, <laughs> so that being said, we're going to do the, our bottom six, uh, 18 through whatever number that is backwards with mathematical equations. Um, <laughs> we'll start, we'll start with, uh, with Eddie as usual. And, and let's just see where this motherfucker takes us. So, um, why don't we just jump on to your number 18? Just before I go on to my number 18, I want to I want to start this three-part series by saying that I've made a little bit of a parallel with something else British that kind of uh you know, I've I've been quite a big fan of at least as a kid and I, w- I just wanted to say Judas Priest is the metal band equivalent of the British sci-fi TV show Doctor Who. And here <laughs> and here is why. Every Judas Priest fan has their Judas Priest. You know, they've been around for over 50 years, they've changed and adapted their sound throughout their career, and it has mostly worked out for them in some way, shape, or form. You know, much like the Doctor would be mortally wounded on the show, he would regenerate into a new actor for the next however many seasons and generations they would entertain. Lastly, I want to make it very clear that, you know, my list is not a set in stone, these are the best albums, period, but I've placed them according to how much I enjoyed the experience individually, personally, of listening to the albums. I don't hate any, yeah, I don't hate any of the records. I have individual songs that don't grab me, but as a whole, each album has something unique to give the listener, uh, even if it is just a few standout tracks. In short, I have some controversial albums at the top <laughs> and some beloved albums at the bottom. So uh, 
So just on, before on you before note. you be, before you begin, um, I kind of grew up watching Doctor Who because my older brother uh, wow. was was obsessed with Doctor Who. He actually worked at Doctor Who conventions in my hometown, and he got <laughs> to and he got to drive around like John Pertwee and a few other people when they came to town. Like he was deep in the shit. So I got to watch That's that awesome. show. I, I actually didn't like the newer rebooted kind of version of it because I liked the campiness of the stuff <laughs> from the original, you know, 30 years or whatever. But that's beside the point. But do you have a favorite doctor? Is there is there one that's your favorite? For me, you know, this was this was, you know, I'm showing my age here, but for me, my favorite eras or era is literally 2005 to the very first day of the 2010s because oh. that is that is Christopher Eccleston he did the first series and then the next three after that were David Tennant and I wanted to be David Tennant for like four years of my childhood <laughs> yeah so, so I, I haven't watched them in such a long time but my favorite growing up was Tom Baker the guy with the big scarf the first oh, guy yeah. with the big scarf and yeah, that, or whatever. Anyway, he, he's he's the icon. But <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Let, we're digressing, <laughs> but you know what? Not really, because that's British culture. We're also uh, talking about a band that has a lot to do with British metal culture. So, okay. N- without further ado, sir, number eighteen, Judas Priest album. Okay, so my bottom pick. This mm, this isn't a, a surprising record to see here, judging by you know my experience. I kind of looked at other people's lists and spent quite a bit of time on the Judas Priest Reddit, you know, doing a little bit of research and finding out if, if you know, my hypothesis was correct that everybody's got their Judas Priest. And it's, and it's pretty true because mm-hmm. I've never seen such a diverse selection of lists, but for my bottom pick, had to go with Nostradamus. Okay, uh, all right. It, it's, it's their only concept slash double album and in my opinion, could have been a single disc and could have been much more to the point and just generally less of a chore to listen to. I get that they wanted to try something new, but fucking hell. I was I was <laughs> I, I might have made a mistake listening to the whole thing in one go because there are two discs and there is no rule that you have to listen to both in one go, but I I thought, do you know what? If they wanted a proggy kind of experience then i'm gonna go down the whole album route so yeah, yeah i stuck it on and i've done i've done a track by track but i kept it pretty brief because we'll be here the whole episode talking about this album yeah. solely based on the track listing but yeah dawn of creation big epic orchestral intro it does set an epic tone for the record uh prophecy riff is mean and the pre-chorus has an ominous edge to it you know so far so good nothing offensive but you know nothing that really grips me either uh awakening melodic melodic interlude serves as a connection between the two tracks it sits between then you get revelations big sprawling track with a cool part in the middle leading up to the solo uh the four horsemen um another interlude track approaching a darker and heavier track which is war Hey, that one reminds me a little bit of Sabaton. Uh, I like Sabaton. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, Judas Priest didn't quite pull off that feel here. Uh, Sands of Time, 
orchestral slow burner which explodes into pestilence and plague uh this song much like the rest of this album has a very power metal feel to it um death death reminds me of their work on the painkiller album one of my favorites so far uh peace a softer track bridging two more metal tracks uh you know yeah conquest cranks up the intensity a little bit again lost love i gotta say lost love is a beautiful song major standout to me on that and it's not even really a a metal song it's much more of a ballad but it just stuck out to me because i was like this is nice i I like this um persecution that's one thing just to interrupt you a little bit because you brought, brought that up that's one thing that i did notice is that they, they don't do it a lot, but when they do really sort of soft, gentle ballads, like, you know, some that are just, you know, with piano or whatever it is, which is, doesn't happen often. But I feel like when they do those, they do those really well. And I don't think they I'm get really enough credit for that. Like, and Rob Halford clearly has a voice that can carry a song like that. So I totally get why that would stand out. Totally. And, you know, there's there's at least... I think there's like one every album that has quite a soft little bit, depending on the album, of course. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's nice to hear them do that, and it and it and it's a little bit of a change of pace. Um, Persecution, great riffing going on there. Definitely one of the record's strongest, in my opinion. And then we get Solitude, which begins disc two, and uh, we get this piano intro, and then we get Exiled, um, Exiled, sorry. A bit of an epic track, um, alone, epic sounding ballad, but heavy type thing. Uh, Shadows in the flame, this acoustic interlude. Visions, it's suspenseful, but I can really start to feel how long the album is at this point. Especially <laughs> if you listen, especially if you're listening to it in one go, because I was kind of like, at this point in the album, I was thinking. Oh, like I've committed myself to the second disc at this point, so I might as well like ride the rest of it out. But yeah, I don't. I don't um, know if we totally mentioned this, but maybe for people who are listening that aren't quite aware of what we're talking about with this album, so did we mention that this was a? It's a concept album about Nostradamus, yeah. which I guess is is clear from the title, but um, it's a it's an epic concept album from a band that never did anything like that prior yeah and, and um, never did it again <laughs> never did it again well i mean i guess they we, there's they could still have one more in them you never know <laughs> they, they they could they could i, I suppose but they, they gotta they gotta step their game up because like i i feel like if you're gonna do something this epic you've got to go really 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 proggy and quite complex and that, i think and that I've, that's the big failure of this album is if you're going to do something this long and yeah, that they're neat. The, the problem is there aren't enough proggy elements. It's very straightforward. They just yeah. happen to add strings and, and and interludes, but nothing, nothing makes the yeah, the songs don't allow for it to be an entertaining experience all the way through because not a lot yeah. happens. I think if it had been just one disc. It could have been better. It's that classic um, load reload syndrome, but sure. you know, it's it could have definitely easily been one disc and been much better. Yeah. Um, 
Then you get Hope. Uh, it's another interlude kind of thing. They do. They did go all in on the concept album idea to their credit. You know, with the actual layout of the album, but they they didn't fill it with enough interesting stuff. That's that's the problem. Um, New Beginnings. Uh, I did get Dream Theater vibes off of this one. Cool track. Uh, Calm Before the Storm. Uh, does what it says on the tin, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nostradamus, uh, the title track, serious painkiller feel on this one. Now, I, th- I do think the last two tracks on this album are good, but I wish I didn't have to wait as long enough, as long as I did to get to them. Because yeah. I feel like Nostradamus and Future of Mankind are, are good. And that, a, that's it's where a climax, I, the climax of yeah, the album. Totally. And I feel like had this been half the length with, you know, l- much less... Uh, basically if they trimmed the fat this could have been a lot better and uh, yeah that is my take on Nostradamus and right. that's why it sits at the bottom for me it's it's cool. it's the least interesting yeah yeah I, I agree with a lot of the things you said but that's not my number 18 my number 18 Ooh. is the only album so I told you that I went through I listed pros and cons and at the end I gave it a number rating from 1 to 10 this is the only album in the Judas Priest catalog that gets a 1 <laughs> um, this is the album Demolition from 2001, um, which is the second album with the other vocalist, Tim Ripper Owens. And um, this, this is, okay, let me, I'm going to show you so you can see. You see that piece of paper? This is where the pros were supposed to go, and it's a completely <laughs> empty column. There is no... There's no, there's no pros <laughs> for this album. Damn, it's um. <laughs> so, so to put it into context, remember I'm listening to these albums in order. I'm having a Judas Priest experience, and I had, I did this over a two week period, randomly listening to albums, sometimes a few in a row, and sometimes a little bit of a space. But um, this coming after the other album, J- Jugulator, is that what it's called with Tim Ripper? Jugulator. Yeah. Um, this one is just like this came out in 2001 and a lot of the things that I don't like about metal around the late nineties and early two thousands, it's all there. It's, (laughs) it's got this dry dimensionless production that just like, I liked how the production of of metal got in the nineties where sure they, they started getting rid of all the reverb drenched kind of stuff but it was it, there was a weight to it, and it still had a very open but heavy sound. And then all of a sudden, it became the norm of like, no, no, that's not cool. You got to suck all the air out of the album, <laughs> and just yeah, just have. I mean, and, and it's just it, that sonically, it's just not fun to listen to. But on top of that, this is the one album out of the two with Tim Ripper Owens where I feel like there is no trace of actual Judas Priest on this album. It just sounds yeah. like they're trying to do whatever the other bands that they were hearing were doing at the time, and they couldn't really do it that well. And I'll give Tim uh, Owens some credit because he's a great singer. And it, correct me if I'm wrong, but he, the story of him joining the band isn't isn't Rockstar the movie loosely based on that, where he's in a cover band. And then they 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 find him in as a as a cover singer, and then they hire him on. Yeah, I th- I th- I think 
that's pretty much exactly what happened. He was in a Judas Priest tribute band and they found him and they were like, hey, we lost Rob. Uh, yeah. Do you want to sing for us? <laughs> Did you see the movie Which Rockstar must have been that a I'm dream referring come to? True. I do need to. I still need to see Rockstar. So, so it's it's not a great movie. It's fun, but it's you know Mark yeah. Wahlberg is in a cover band for Steel Dragon is the name of the band. But they <laughs> but the band is British and they even go so far as to at one point let it, let the audience know that the the singer that's leaving has been hiding that he's a homosexual. Like it's just. There's a lot of references that that make me go, oh, this is totally inspired by the Tim Ripper Owens thing. Um, you should go check it yeah. out. You'll have fun watching it, no matter what. But um, <laughs> totally. So yeah. So he sounds great, but the lyrics on this album are atrocious. Yeah. And, and that's coming from a band. Here's where I start to. I'm going to start um, making enemies right now. Um, there are a lot of really bad lyrics all throughout every Judas Priest album. Like agreed. Some agreed. <laughs> real cringe worthy shit. And these are like even worse. And so on top of that, you have boring riffs that just sound like rehash stuff and the songs don't really deliver. They don't really go anywhere. It's a tough album to sit through. It's 70 minutes long or something like that. It is fucking long. And even though, like, I gave it a one, I didn't give it a zero because here and there there are moments that are okay, but the okay moments don't make up for the fucking confused mess that this album is. And yeah. to give you an idea before I wrap it up, so by the time I got to the uh, song Cyberface, which is song number 12, we're getting to the end of the album, um, I, I was so annoyed at this album that... When Tim, <laughs> when Tim Ripper Owens says the line, beware his megabyte, I audibly went, yeah. fuck off. <laughs> 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 and then to top it off, Metal Messiah has rapping in it. And yeah. <laughs> that's coming from somebody who's a Limp Biscuit fan. That's me. I have no problem with rap metal. But if you, sometimes it's so horribly done that I can't get over it. And so it's pretty this, obnoxious. Yeah, yeah, and so this album just left me going, all right, uh, it's it's it, it was really the only one where I was like I'm going to have to rip this one a new one. <laughs> and so um so yeah, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's an album that I think fails because of the times, I guess really, because if the classic metal sound was still super popular in 2001, maybe there would have been maybe they would have been more inspired and given Tim a little bit more to deal with. But I just feel like overall it's a failure. And, um, um, I read somewhere that it's is Tim Ripper Owens favorite album he did out of the two. And I'm like, really? All right. Well, you know, I guess to each their own, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but anyway, so there you go. My 18 is demolition. Cool. Um, I suppose I don't hate that album as much as you, as much as you did. Uh, could be a, could be a generational thing there, but, uh, <laughs> could be, uh, um, my, so my next one coming up, my number 17, uh, -huh. uh would be now I, I, I basically, I went on my iTunes because I, I own most of the Judas Priest albums on CD and mm -hmm. I've got them all on my iTunes and I've got all of the songs and you know, you can do that, um, 
the rating thing with the little stars. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um I kind of I made a playlist of all of the like main studio albums without like the bonus tracks and stuff and I and I essentially gave 5 stars to each song on each album that I felt would give it a a bump up in quality. And by the end, however many 5 star songs it had determined where it would place on the list and that awesome. was a good little good little help for me but yeah. the only the only album that i came away from that with only one five star song on it and that's not saying that the rest of the album wasn't like three or four stars but i had to go with point of entry as my number 17 wow okay and as an 80s rock fan that sounds like you know sacrilege yeah you know but this is the forgotten record in their catalog and with the exception of the first three tracks i don't find much else on it very memorable at all to be honest uh this is a weird era for me because i feel as though british steel and this are on a similar wavelength but british steel had the benefit of coming first and being the iconic record to the point of where it's it's so uh it's so just absolutely hammered home how you know british steel is an icon you know this album you know yeah whereas point of entry came straight after it and is totally not talked about at all um but you know it's got some it's got some tunes on it not the most impressive songs but fucking heading out to the highway that is a yeah that is a ripper of a that that is a song that is a crank up song like that's they have oh some yeah of, they have a handful of those but man i'd love that song yeah heading out to the highway is the five star song <laughs> it, it it comes right out of the gate with um heading out to the highway and then two other singles right after it it's a very front-loaded record uh, don't go and hot rock in a, a catchy it, it's it's quite a good fun record but to me it's kind of party background music it, but you just know? to give to give you an idea about my gripes about their lyrics they, they have a yeah. song called hot rockin <laughs> <laughs> it's like this band that people put on this pedestal of like they were revolutionary in the metal world what about that song hot rockin uh, <laughs> we won't talk about that one <laughs> have you seen have you seen the video for hot rockin no, but I, oh I actually like that song and I like this album. So I I, um, I need to go. See, that's the thing is that I, I need to dive in. My, my, my plan is once we finish these episodes is the albums that are ones that I feel like going back and revisiting. Those are the ones that I want to learn more about. And if they have videos, go check them out. I've, I've seen the Headed Out to the Highway video, but not Hot Rockin'. Yeah. I, I want it duly noted how nobody... Like, I, I suppose there were probably, like, you know... It, it, Rob Halford didn't come out properly until 1998. But watching the video for Hot Rockin', how did <laughs> anyone think otherwise? <laughs> I but, think it's uh, a, yeah. It's a lot, it's of, just, a lot of people trying to deny things because they're uncomfortable, I think. Yeah. I th I th not not, not I, meaning him. I mean the, I mean the public <laughs> at large. Yeah, I th honestly, the the video literally consists of him and the rest of the band 
pretty much shirtless in a gym, literally working <laughs> oh, out. Oh, I have seen this video. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it now. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. He's a early MTV masterpiece. But yeah, um, you know, kind of back to my track by track of this album, you know, turning circles. It's it's a bit of a loss of oh sorry uh, I didn't actually talk about uh, don't go and hot rocking properly yeah um, so heading out to the highway absolute road trip gem what a tune uh, don't go catchy and groovy but it already loses a little bit of steam compared to the previous track um, hot rocking picks it up again and keeps that driving hard rock feel going you know I enjoy this track. Um, but this album to me is very much those three tracks and a bunch of other songs, you know, and okay. uh, Turn in Circles, again, is a, is another loss of steam. The chorus is fun, but that's all I get from this song, to be honest. Desert Plains, admittedly, uh, revives the driving vibe once more. I do like that song quite a bit. Uh, but this album, unfortunately, has a consistency problem that I feel hinders it greatly. And it's literally great song, meh song, great song, eh, great, eh. And it's kind of a pattern that, that makes it difficult to enjoy. Um, Solar Angels, I will say when the vocals came in, the song was a pleasant surprise. I enjoy when Judas Priest do major key stuff. It sounds quite anthemic when they do that. And, you know, it, it almost makes me think that they're the, they're the queen of the metal world. Like I, I, I do get that feeling from a lot of their music sometimes, especially around this era, because this feels like a deliberate attempt sometimes, especially during this era, to write some quite Queen-esque parts. Yeah, well, I mean, so I'll get to this now, but I'll say this probably several times over all three of these episodes. The, the, thing, the big takeaway from, from my experience do, getting ready for this podcast was... Um, I don't understand why people seem to ignore the fact that most of the music they wrote wasn't metal. Like, like they wrote, they wrote a lot of metal, but over 18 albums, I would, I would, my estimation would be 25% of it is metal. The rest of it (laughs) is, the rest of it is hard rock and other types of, of stuff. Because I feel like at heart, they were a band that just liked writing driving tunes and they and yeah. they I almost feel like they took on the metal moniker af- just because it was kind of assigned to them and they went yeah we'll do that cool and then later on down the line is when they went oh we're Judas Priest we have to make metal now and yeah. if you up and up until Painkiller you could make the argument that all the albums leading up to that are mostly not metal and and I have no problem with that cuz I, I you know I mm. like a lot. I mean, heading out to the highway is is not a metal song. It's it's a rock song, and it's really good. So I just think it's yeah. interesting that you know you hear these songs, and and you can you can make connections to other bands that were happening around the time. And usually, you're going to be connecting to a band that isn't necessarily a metal band. Like they they didn't in the '80s. They didn't write songs that sounded like Iron Maiden. And, you mm. know, and so it's just one of those things where I, I find it really interesting that there's so much just good old hard rock on a lot of their stuff like this album here. Totally. And, uh, you know, you say yes has another good chorus, mm. but it, fe- it 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 feels a little goofy and janky in the verses. That's kind of what put me off it a little bit. Um, 
All the way sounds like an early White Snake B side. <laughs> uh, Troubleshooter is a clear crack at an ACDC style plodding riffer, and closing track on the run is this swingy hard rocker bringing that driving feel back for the for the final song. And this, at its core, is a driving rock album. It's mm-hmm. not a metal album. Yeah, and as you know, kind of approaching this from a, a metal standpoint, I suppose it could have skewed my idea of this album. But as far as memorable stuff goes, this album has never really struck a chord with me quite like other records in their catalogue. And yeah. that, does, that doesn't mean it's bad. It simply means I'm, I don't connect to it the way I do some of their other records. And so that is why it is number 17, which sounds harsh, but, you know, yeah. I don't hate any of these albums. So, yeah. Cool. So n- not to give anything away, but we I won't be talking about Point of Entry on this episode. So Wow. <laughs> um, my, uh, my number 17, uh, we've already talked about it. Nostradamus is my number 17. Um, this album got a 1.5. On my, wow. on my scale, <laughs> just, just I'm giving them credit for the effort uh, because it, it clearly took a lot to put this album together. And going through their discography the way that I did, this was one of those moments where it was a little bit something different to sink sink your teeth into. So that that alone was what made it at least a little bit enjoyable to me. But, yeah. Everything that you said about the album, I pretty much agree. Um, the big issue, like we said, is that it's a concept album and it's a really lengthy double album. Or, I mean, for the length of it, it could be a triple album if you're putting it on vinyl or whatever. Yeah. But um, they follow the double concept album rule book to a T where it's it's everything just feels like they had a checklist and they just went down the checklist and made an album. And, and, and there, I almost feel like they were so involved in making sure this was an epic concept album that the songs themselves took kind of a backseat to that because not a lot happens. Like I, there are songs on here that are, you know, seven or eight minutes long and, I keep waiting for like a some sort of weird different change to happen and it doesn't happen. I mean there are different yeah. parts here and there but for the most part these are 3 minute rock songs stretched out to 8 minutes or whatever where yeah. the only reason they're 8 minutes is because every song begins with like a swelling up of some keys or a, what a, an acoustic guitar or whatever the fuck it is it's it's almost like the 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 interstitials or whatever, the interludes are totally unnecessary because you'll hear like a 53 second interlude. that's all. And then the next song starts. And what does it start with? Like, it's like, it's it's like, (laughs) don't even fucking put it there. Get rid of those things. And so, um, the one, so I was listening to these albums in order and the thing that I wrote down on my notes, if, if you know what I'm talking about, we'll get to this album later. But, um, I wrote that this album was, the uneventfulness of the song Loch Ness stretched out over to two albums. If you know the song <laughs> Loch Ness, which is on the previous album they did, um, we'll talk about that one. But it's literally a thing where you make 
long-winded music that doesn't really deliver. Now, that being said, these are all very talented dudes. Everyone in Judas Priest is, I, I believe, a master at what they do. They're, they're yeah. all great. And so I think that my problem is, even though the performances are good, it feels more like a homework assignment than a rock album at the end of the day. And yeah, <laughs> and and for the most part, it doesn't really sound like Judas Priest. Like there are there are parts on some of these songs where I'm like, is this the the most recent Iron Maiden album? Like because it yeah. it has those kind of qualities, and it's like, did they? It's almost like they were like, well, we have to do this double you know concept album where we write about you know this historical figure or whatever. I know I know fuck all about Nostradamus, but um. It's almost like they said, well, Iron Maiden has done things like that. Let's <laughs> let's borrow some shit yeah. from them. <laughs> and so um, really at the end of the day, it's just a very generic sounding album for how big it is. It doesn't deliver. Um, and honestly, I going into it, because I didn't know anything about it, uh, I, I just I was, went into it going, all right, here's Stonehenge by by Spinal Tap, and, <laughs> and it ended up being worse than that. So I'm just like, yeah. okay. So at the yeah, so it, it's number seventeen, but it, it's it's saving graces of the fact that everyone playing is very good at playing and singing. <laughs> but that's that's you've come to you've come to expect that from Judas Priest. But as, overall it's just the fact that it's different and they tried something else. I give them credit for that, but I would be very happy to never listen to this album ever again. So, agreed. There you go, my number 17. Agreed. <laughs> cool. So, that brings me to my number 16, yeah? Yeah. Rock and Roller. I've okay. gone for, I've gone for, yeah, kind of <laughs> jumped the gun there. <laughs> um, yeah, Rockerola is my number 16 pick. Their debut album. Their, their very first from 1974. And this is much more a hard rock album than a metal sound that they would go on to adopt and define. Uh, kind of, we all start somewhere. And it even has, you know, a harmonica points, which just goes to show the the very bluesy thing that they were still rooted in. They were all still dressing like hippies. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, let's let's jump into the track by track. Cool. Uh, one f- one for the road. It's plodding seventies rock groove. Cool opener. Shows off Rob's vocals right off the bat. Um, rock and roller carries on. You know, obviously the title track. Uh, carries on that bouncy 70s rock feel. You almost, can has hear a, the, almost has a disco beat in it a little bit. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of their 70s stuff has like a slight disco twinge to it, like ever so slightly. Yeah. Um, and it's got this like kind of bouncy groove to it. It's, a, it's uh, you know, y- you can hear the style that they're developing here, but it isn't quite metal yet. And then we get the first in what appears to be a very uh, cold trilogy on the album. Uh, you get Winter, which is uh, it's kind of a suite of three songs. Uh, so Winter is like a bit of a build up, and then this absolute. In in fairness, this is kind of a doom metal riff. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I, I could definitely hear Sabbath playing something like that. Um, then you get Deep Freeze, you know, adds another cool riff, you know, still part of the same song really though. Uh, and then Winter Retreat starts off really experimental, you know, playing with all this guitar feedback for the first half before going all pretty and nice in this in the second half. Then you get one of my favorites, if not my favorite on the album, you get Cheater, uh, brings that bouncy groove back into the mix. It's, again, it's got that harmonica. It, it, it's got like a, it's almost like a campier Aerosmith at times, ever so slightly, mm-hmm. it, to, to me at least. Um, never Satisfied, you know, impressed me in the riff department. You know, I totally forgot how many grooves are on this album, um, but it's just simply not the Judas Priest that I particularly jumped to them to listen to. Yeah. Uh, then you get Run of the Mill, this like almost nine minute epic of a track. Uh, gave me uh, Child in Time vibes at points, you know, really showing off Halford's range. Um, then you get Dying to Meet You, this smooth, moody and bluesy track, which develops into a swingy rock and roll track with plenty of dual guitars. And then finally, we get the like kind of weird, short and chill instrumental Caviar and Meths that closes the record out but it's like it's interesting to hear this kind of you know embryo of what judas priest would go on to become without the whole leather and studs we have to play heavy kind of feel like they they were just trying to be a rock band here yeah it's it's it's, kind of cool to see it it comes across it's very enjoyable It, it comes across like a band that even though they may not totally have their direction nailed down, there's a confidence that comes through in this album. Like they, they're already very good at doing what they're trying to do, and and yeah. so plus, plus it's just to me it's always really um, enjoyable to hear like where a band began, especially a band that's become legendary. Just hearing their humble beginnings on a record. It's, I don't know, it's, it was very, it was a very entertaining listen to me. Yeah, it, and like I say, I've kind of reached albums now where I'm starting to get individual standouts. So, um, you know, my initial, it's really only my first uh, pick, Nostradamus, that really kind of bored me most Mm -hmm. of the way. But, um, you know, I think, Point of Entry has some real moments, but it, it's not very memorable. But Rock and Roller's got some quite standout songs, especially uh, especially One for the Road and Cheater. And that's it comes in at 16, but it's still a good album. Is it is it weird that every time you're about to say Cheater, I, I hope that you say Cheetah? Because <laughs> I'm all like, because <laughs> you're, you're enunciating the T and I don't want that. I don't want you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll stick with cheetah from now on yes <laughs> I, I just I, I love it i just i love it i love the accent um, I, I, feel, I feel like from from my my kind of part of the my part of the uh, country it's a it's a little bit more farmer around here yeah there's a bit more <laughs> emphasis on on this whole thing than, but um yeah yeah, I'm I'm partial to the you know the whole water bottle thing and stuff like that you know yeah <laughs> 
I don't know. Uh, I don't yeah, know why. Completely... You, you, who who would have thought that to, to somebody's ears, leaving letters out of a word could sound sophisticated? <laughs> it just it just sounds so much more important than me saying water bottle. Although to be fair, I, we pronounce T's with D's. In that case, it's water bottle. We're not water bottle. <laughs> oh, sorry. Let's not. I think let's it's... not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's only really like the proper upper class people around here that go water bottle, yes. Oh Whereas like we've got bo- both ends of the extremes o- yeah. over here. We've got water and water. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So are you are you done are you done there with uh, Rockarola? We need to get a really posh guest like David Coverdale to come on to teach us how to speak fancy. <laughs> all right, I'm I'm all about that. You, you call him up because he's he's one of yours. So maybe he'll. You guys know each other, right? You all all the Brits know each other. Oh yeah, we're all from London. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's let's dive into my number sixteen. Is that what we are on sixteen? Yeah, Rockarola was sixteen. Yeah. Um, so my number 16, let's just jump back one album. My number 16 is Redeemer of Souls from 2014. Oh, I know someone um, who's not going to like that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, for the things that I was talking about earlier, where later on in the Judas Priest catalog, it seems like they almost just are playing by everyone else's rules now. So it's like, oh, you're a metal band. Oh, so we can only do metal songs now. (laughs) <laughs> and really with Redeemer of Souls, um, yeah, in the in the grand scheme of things, w- listening to the the discography in order, this one was kind of a, a bummer because it's it's like if you're already a huge Judas Priest fan, then this is a good album. That's that uh, that's very very fair to say. And um it has a few cool riffs. And moments that are sprinkled throughout the album, but I I feel like as an album, this isn't the album that's going to win over new Judas Priest fans because I don't think it has enough that stands out. Um, the yeah, the cool moments are just too few and far between. But it is better than Nostradamus. I will give it that. Um, <laughs> and then there's a couple songs that I really liked, like, you know, I'll jot down some tracks that stand out. Like I really liked, uh, cold blooded and battle cry. Those are both songs that, that stood out as, as very cool to me. Um, and, and an interesting thing about this album is that the very last track beginning of the end, which is very mellow. And I believe it's just piano. I think if I remember it correctly, but after listening to the whole album, that song seemed like the most honest song on the album. Like the band sounded the most comfortable doing that than all of the metal that happened prior <laughs> to it. And the production on this album is pretty weak, in my opinion. So much so that the the drum sound at times, I thought it was a programmed drum machine. Because it's the drums, something about how they're produced is so... It's like it it kills the what do you call it? the attack? It, the attack is killed on the drums almost to where it just feels robotic, mm. and overall it's just kind of a lackluster album, um, and it just it just seemed like I this I, I, let's make some more enemies now. So I am <laughs> I'm 
I, I wouldn't, I, I refer to myself as old head, but I'm 42. So depending on who you are, I'm either not old at all or I'm very old, but I'm headed, <laughs> I'm headed out to the highway of oldness, as, as they say. Um, and I have never and probably never will be a person that lives by the rule of respect your elders no matter what. I think that's complete bullshit. If I'm a 60-year-old man and I'm being a son of a bitch, you call me a son of a bitch. I don't care how fucking old I am. <laughs> Same thing goes with older bands. If they put out shit that isn't very good, you don't have to think it's great just because they're a legendary metal band. That is, mm. And so I feel like they get credit when they should get ridicule. So this is one of those <laughs> cases, Redeemer of Souls. Not an awful album, just not a special album at all. So I, it just there, there's a it, there's a metal by numbers quality in some of these songs. Um, it feels very watered down, especially like following what was the album prior to this? Uh, or not 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 Nostradamus, but uh, Angel of Retribution. Uh, much better album than Redeemer of Souls, and um. It's just, uh, it's at the end of the day, it was, it felt like metal music being made by people who are told they're supposed to make metal music and, and, and they have an album due so they can go on tour. And it's, it, it just feels very ho-hum. Um, the, the, the album cover is pretty fucking cool. I'll, <laughs> I'll give them that. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, when I got to this point in the discography, it, it, I started to feel very sort of um, uh, exhausted um, because because all of a sudden the variety was kind of gone in Judas Priest. If you uh, all the way, even 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 uh, uh, I was about to say Power Slave, a uh, Painkiller, <laughs> even <laughs> even Painkiller has a variety on it. Whereas I feel like Redeemer of Souls is literally just different they took the different kinds of metal songs and made those songs. And yeah. it just, it just was kind of a boring listen. But once again, they're the whole band is very good at playing what they're playing. I can't really fault them for that. So that's why the album uh, is number 16. Yeah. 16. Okay. So my <laughs> num my number 15, I'm kind of scared. I'm kind of scared with this one. Oh, okay. Uh, th this one is probably going to have a bunch of people saying, you're fucking wrong. <laughs> you know, they're going to have their pitchforks and torches and come and set fire to my house and stab me in the butt, presumably with those pitchforks. I don't know what they're for, really. Um, but <laughs> they're yeah, for poking um, people. Yeah. <laughs> it's where they all turn up armed yeah. to the teeth and they're like, we don't agree with you, and then walk away. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Okay. Fans of 70s Priest, prepare yourselves. Cool. I had to put it, and I know it's got some great songs on there, but I had to put it here. Sad Wings of Destiny. Wow, okay. Okay, Sad Wings and of the Destiny. Their second album. And I'm aware of its icon status and its influence. Do uh -huh. not get me wrong. But to me personally, uh, it, it, it has some great, excellent moments on it. 
but it also has some parts on it that I feel kind of hinder the experience as a whole. I, I understand that they're still identifying themselves and trying to find out what uh, what kind of music they actually make, but I'm noticing some serious parallels with this record and Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Like, they got wind of this metal thing that was taken off and decided to jump on the train. Now, I've, I've got kind of a... I've got kind of a theory as to why it lines up. All right. So it opens with an absolute classic song with Victim of Changes. It's full-on Metal Priest. Uh, I actually liken it to War Pigs in a way because it's the opener of the second record. It's between seven and eight minutes long, and it shows off a more fleshed-out version of the band. And I can't help but feel as though they took some note from their contemporaries, as in Sabbath, and had a proper indulgent and awesome track open the album. I mean, yeah, at this and point, then, they have they had a good five years to digest that album. So it, you, it makes a lot of yeah. sense. And then immediately following up with a much more straightforward track with The Ripper really cements a darker tone on the album. And those riffs on there, tell me you don't hear Kerry King riffs in that. I feel like <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like Slayer heard the song The Ripper and made an entire career out of that riff. Well, I mean, they may eventually covered a Judas Priest song, so I guess that makes sense that the influences yeah. start here. And it's much shorter than track one, just like Paranoid. And then you get Dreamer Deceiver, which which is this melancholy kind of thing. Rob is showing off his softer side of his vocals. And also, this feels to me like a much more over-the-top Planet Caravan. Mm -hmm. And I even think some of the chords are quite similar, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, I'm not saying that they copied anything just were very influenced at the time and it worked for them we'll do it too and it, this this at this point i feel like those first three tracks are integral for an album to sell you yeah. on it and then it, it it begins to become a little bit more its own thing from here on in after dreamer deceiver you it runs just simply into deceiver a chuggy two minutes and 46 seconds of riffage and swagger and i will say rob seems to still be learning how to control his voice at points like there are some cracks in his vocals that do strike me every now and again he'll be like forever like he'll just be like slightly around the note and i'll yeah. be like ooh, ooh. You, know, you also um, have to wonder if, I, I, I believe a lot of albums, especially back in this time period, they, they were kind of rushed. So maybe they didn't have yeah. enough, enough studio time. And so they're like, you know, Rob, that's close enough. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. And it, while it is a very honest, uh, you know, album, and, you know, there's no uh, real touching up the performances, really. It's just, it is very, it's a very raw and real record. But it, 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 I feel like Judas Priest suffered from the 70s production because I feel like their music is made for stadiums and it feels like they're playing in a room, which is, you know, they would be 
but is that necessarily what I want a band like this to to sound like on the record is yeah. what I asked myself and that's what that's why I'm much more of an 80s guy than 70s in this case but I'll I'll get on to that without giving anything away <laughs> um yeah uh and then you get prelude uh which is a piano led track carrying on that dark tone of the record the organ the organ is awesome i love love a good organ um that's what she said <laughs> i knew that was coming as well <laughs> um you get tyrant tyrant shows off a more upbeat tempo again something that they would utilize more and more with subsequent releases uh genocide has a fucking great amount of guitar riffs uh and then you get epitaph which goes full-on sinatra like jesus christ like rob do an album of this stuff <laughs> like i'd be interested to hear him do like a lounge record like because he could pull it off yeah. he has that he has such a range that he could pull off and i know i know people tend to you know focus on have you heard this insane high note that rob can hit you know yeah okay that's old news when i hear him sing in a deep voice that's when i'm impressed these days because i'm thinking holy shit i am so used to hearing him up i like up here and then to hear him down here singing like sinatra i'm like damn <laughs> i mean i yeah i i feel like most of the time um, singers that sing in a lower range, it's harder to impress me. And so um, in Rob Halford's case, I'm like, yeah, that dude could could have just decided to stick in that range and he could still be an amazing vocalist. Like he's got the, those kind yeah. of pipes. He can, he can hit whatever range he fucking wants to. And he's a hell of a crooner when he wants to be. Like, yeah. for, for real. Uh, and then finally you get Island of Domination, which uh, closes out the record on full throttle. You know, the riffs, the operatic vocals, it's all there. And a breakdown groove riff in 1976 now nah, that's mm. that's just showing off that is just showing <laughs> off um but yeah it, it, i am at the point now where you know these albums aren't so much inferior in the music but i'm having to rank them according to how much i personally enjoy them so uh yeah that is my take on sad wings of destiny cool and so if anyone's taking notes at home um, I don't know how many times this is going to happen, but this is number one in the times in this list where we are neck and neck with our ch choices. My number 15 is also Sad Wings of Destiny. Hey. Um, so uh, I don't know how many times this will happen, but at least we know we met up one time. Um, <laughs> and you know what? Your your comparison to to Sabbath, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on that two times. Um, so... If I remember right, their first album was produced by the guy that produced early Sabbath albums. So there's already that connection there where Yeah. And then this one I do I do get what you're saying with the Sabbath comparison, but the one that strikes me a lot on their early music is um a lot I'll hear a lot of riffs and parts here. Sure, some of it sounds Sabbathy, but some of it sounds like Deep Purple. Like shit that yes. Deep Purple had already done. So a big gripe that I have is, and I, I, I'll, fuck, I, I don't know. I don't know any nicer way to say it. 
Um, the, the, the group think mentality about Judas priest has put them in a level where people say words that I don't think they know what they're talking about. I've heard people refer to these early priest albums like this one as revolutionary. And that is the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard. There's, there's <laughs> nothing revolutionary about this. They were doing things that other people had already done and still figuring out where they wanted to go. Um, but so all of the heavier riffs on here, like there's some good heavy riffs that you could say are metal, but that's drawing a really thin line from them to metal. It's, it, it's, I, I, I guess, I don't know. I, I just feel like when, when, if, if other bands have already been doing the things that you're trying to do better than you're doing them, then you need to move on. And that's, that's what sad wings of destiny is to me. It's an album where, I feel like it took the, so they're kind of all over the place on Rockarola, but they're a brand new band and they're just doing the shit that comes to them. Whereas this one feels more like they have an idea of what they may want to do. They just don't know how to make those songs yet. And yeah. so it's, there's hints of something greater. And, um, the, I don't know, you may have to tell me about this, but, um, this is one of the worst produced albums I think that they did. And I don't know if the version I'm listening to like on Apple music is like a remixed and remastered version where they just fucked it up, but it sounds awful pretty much all the way yeah, through. I'm not a fan of the production of, of seventies priest records at all. I, 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 I like, I, I liked the rock and roller production. I, this one yeah. just, it doesn't even sound like seventies production. It just sounds like, like a demo that they put out and yeah that there's there's a couple 70s records they did where they really shit the bed on the production front yeah <laughs> so so really like the strong moments on this album are just that they're just moments it's almost like something will happen where i'll go oh cool that's a cool riff or this is a cool part and then it doesn't go anywhere or it goes somewhere that's less interesting um yeah o- overall the the hype over this album and the artwork promises an album that you don't get. Like it looks like it should be this epic metal album and it's a hard rock album with some metal-ish riffs on it that's kind of confused and and it's 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 clearly a transitional album where they're sort of figuring out what they want to do. And I I really do think that a lot of their shit gets credit it doesn't necessarily deserve. Like, it, is it a bad album? Absolutely not. Um, these are entertaining albums. I mean, everything they did in the 70s and 80s, in my opinion, has something about it that is very entertaining to listen to. But yeah, if you, if you really dig in and listen to the music that was going on around them at the time and before they did these albums, there's nothing really interesting to sink your teeth into it's just a good 70s rock album and so um that's why it ends up here matching up with your number 15 cool um so this is this is where i i'm a little less afraid of this next pick okay i've got (laughs) you know i'm but not by much because i do understand that it is it is an iconic album but to me, in my opinion, their most overrated record. 
Oh, big okay. time. Okay. I've had to go for what number am I on now? We're this on number four, fourteen. Fourteen. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So my number fourteen pick. I had to go for British Steel. Okay. Uh, in my opinion, the most overrated in their catalog. It's good, but not nearly as excellent as some of their other works. Do you, Do you think uh, that it's part of what I'm talking about, where people people hear so much that albums are classic that they don't even question it or really break it down? It's yeah. It, I think that that's this is an album that that suffers from that. I I feel like hype can really be detrimental to an album like it, <laughs> or, or in like, this case really helpful probably, i mean yeah. it sold, probably sold millions of copies of this album true true i but like i i suppose you could flip flop between like either you know the the how it's received by the the fans of the band or fans of a genre and i feel like this is the album that uh, people who don't really know any other Judas Priest but know metal point to. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's not really a... It doesn't stand out to me nearly as much as some of their other records. It's really, really good. Um, yeah. You know, Rapid Fire is a damn good opening track. It is a furious ripper of a song. Uh, but then you get a song like Metal Gods which uh, is a pretty cheesy track. You know, the chorus really isn't great. Uh, I'm not a ma- massive fan of this track. The, the metal marching clanking sound is cool at the end, though. I love a good, like, troop march in a metal song. A but, metal militia. Uh, metal militia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and you, in fairness, you do get Breaking the Law, uh, their, their most well-known track, I guess. Uh, which is really this- that was my introduction to Judas Priest when I was a kid, and I and as a kid I'm like this song's really dumb. Like I I did not yeah. like it even as a kid. It's it's grown on me. It's a fun song, but it's really kind of a I don't know what it is about it. It just seems like it's it's meant to be kind of a laugh. Like it's not it's not yeah they're not too serious. I mean I guess that's that's a good thing at times, but um, as an introduction to Priest, I don't think it's the best thing I could have heard. There are some cheese ball lyrics on this album <laughs> yeah like as as far as bad judas priest lyrics go this definitely has some of the corniest lyrics that they ever that they ever did uh like it, it's got it's got great songs on it but it it really suffers from from that kind of we are metal gods kind of thing like Oh, is that what the kids are calling us? Uh, hey, fellow kids, we are metal gods. I'm, I'm really glad you're saying these things. So I, you, you're saying them before I say them. So it makes me, you happy. know. And I, I'm not gonna take, I'm not gonna take anything away from from them. Because be honest, if someone called me a metal god, I'd fucking embrace it. But like, <laughs> it was, it, if someone it, asks if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just. Even in interviews and stuff, like Rob Halford will will work, uh, you know, something of metal into yeah. the conversation. You know, I think there was one recently. It was like, we'll answer like your questions with the honesty of metal, and I was like, hammered it home a little heavy there, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like it's like 
Rob, I love you, but come on. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, you get Grinder. Uh, uh, I was going to say, every time I see the name Grinder, I'm like, oh, Rob knew about the app that would exist <laughs> yeah. 40 years later that. or however long after. He's like, one day I'm going to find some dates on a, on a device and it's going to be called Grinder. I think the funniest turn in that whole thing as well is it literally goes, Grinder. Looking for meat. That's like, that's I want to now research the company that made that app and did they get it from this song? That'd be great if they did. That is a crazy coincidence if it is. Like, <laughs> who thinks to make a gay dating app and hasn't heard this song and it just perfectly syncs up? Like, they're just meant to be. <laughs> I know. So, sometimes the, the planets align perfectly. Oh, they do. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, then you get United. Uh, clearly an attempt at writing a Queen-esque We Will Rock You slash We Are The Champions style anthem. You, can't, you, you at home can't see me shaking my head at this yeah. song. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like uh, it, it always struck me. This is like a prime example of them trying to write something that's going to get played at a sports game. Like, <laughs> yeah, th this was a clear cut. Hmm. Queen have got a real good thing going on with, we are the champions. Let's try, let's try this, you know? And, um, you know, I feel like there's examples of that on a lot of their albums where they looked at queen and went, Oh, we want a song like that. And that's why I kind of draw the, queen comparisons with Judas yeah. Priest because yeah. you've got a gay front man with a great range and a major stadium rock band back in it and it it just always came off to me like Judas Priest were trying to be a heavy queen I mean that's, and, not, that's not a bad goal to have in my opinion yeah and and you know it's it's I like United but it's it's like a cheesy kind of I wouldn't put it on, but if it comes on, uh, I'm going to I'm going to raise my beer in the air and sing along with it. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, other tracks on here. You don't have to be old to be wise. Uh, it's not it's OK. It's not overly memorable. I like the guitars in this song, but it's not a standout track. And I'm really not a fan of the title because that, you know, it's just that whole it's a real mouthful to, to say. <laughs> You yeah. don't have to be old to be wise. It, it just it just sounds like your grandpa kind of lecturing you a little bit. <laughs> and then um, Living After Midnight, it does nail the good time feel. I, I feel like they missed the mark on the previous track, but this one nailed that, like, good time. It's a you great know. song. Yeah, it, it does. It's quite reminiscent of, like, the 70s glam stuff. It, it always kind of hit me as a song that Kiss could have written. Yes. It's got that good time party feel that Kiss did at times. In actual fact, it does feel exactly like a Kiss song. Yeah. Now that I now that I think about it. Yeah, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll never unhear that now. Um sorry. And then you get that the, no, nah, that's okay. Like that's that's a pretty cool thing. <laughs> Imagining um Judas Priest in Kiss makeup is a, is a, <laughs> is a pretty fun little thought. Um then you get the rage, this like slow and groovy. See, this is more like it. If if the if the album was more like the rage, I'd be 
I'd be more inclined to listen to it more, but like, and then you get the Steeler, like the previous track, different in feel, but distinctively more standout when I hear it. Probably yeah. because it's a deeper cut and I'm not tired of hearing it. Um, but one note before I finish this record, I know we said no bonus tracks, yeah. but I had to, I had to include this because I had a funny note about it. Uh, red, white, and blue. It was recorded for the Turbo Sessions when they were going to do a double album, mm. uh, but it was included as a bonus track on the remaster, as were many of the Twin Turbo Sessions songs. Um, why, why did they include a Turbo song on British Steel? That seems weird. Be- because they had a shitload of uh, Turbo Sessions tracks left over, and they thought, oh, what can we do for the remaster? Oh, we can add bonus tracks. How many bonus tracks have we got? Oh, well, we've got this entire other half of a double album that we never made. <laughs> Let's just put I, one I, each on each of the remasters. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Okay. Um, but yeah, I. in case you haven't heard it, it's essentially another like Queen-style anthem, uh, but it's literally written so to be a national anthem. And I am officially starting a petition to replace our dreary God Save the Queen with this. It's cheesy, but I have a soft spot for it. Maybe. I mean, Red, White, and Blue, that could be an American anthem too. Is there anything specific to the UK in the song? Because maybe we can use it over here too. Maybe we could unite the world under Red, White, and Blue. Yeah. Unless people don't have Red, White, and Blue in the flag. They will have to change change their flags, okay? They're all changing their flags. Everybody. That's it. We're, we're officially getting rid of all colors apart from red, white, and blue. Everything is red, white, and blue now. One, one world, one anthem, folks. Three colors. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, or we could just take the song and just change the colors to whatever color everyone's own uh, uh, flag is. I don't know. I can dream, I guess. <laughs> Green, black, and yellow would be like the Jamaican one. Yeah. Well, that'd be a little, that'd be, that would alter the song a little bit, but... Um, be a, an reg- interesting, be a reggae song yeah an interesting thing to think about with this album because um so this album is an iconic album but um you know it, it's 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 not as low as it is for you for me but at the same time i do feel like it's overhyped but i it, i can't help but try to put myself in the shoes of somebody who was 15 years old when this came out in 1980 because it back then, not only did you not have the internet to look up all sorts of shit, they yeah. they hadn't they hadn't started making history of rock and metal type shit. So hearing it in that context, I could see why an album like this, especially for an older rock fan, is a big deal because you don't you yeah. I don't know. It's just one. Of, I I feel like. I really wish that in a lot of cases, you know, there was a way to take a drug that just made you forget everything and listen to something (laughs) with a totally clear (laughs) mind, because I feel like we, sometimes we greatly benefit from all the knowledge that we have. And then other times I feel like it hinders our enjoyment of something in the way that it came out in 1980. So, um, but I agree with a lot of what you said for British Steel, of course. Cool. Yeah, and to me personally, I feel like I feel like the album that came before it did a did a better job, but I, I won't give too much away of of where that's placed. So, okay. uh, without further ado, I, I I guess that's that's on to your next number, one. Yeah, my number fourteen. 
um, which we already talked about. My number 14 is their debut album, Rockarola, hey. from 1974. And um, t- uh, the... The reason why this one, you know, comes before the ones that we already talked about uh, is mostly just because it's an enjoyable 70s rock record. Um, yeah. I had a good time listening to it. Is it is it a Judas Priest album in the way that we know this band? Absolutely not. Um, to me, it's like a hodgepodge of everything that was going on in music at the time and rock music. There's a little bit for everybody on there. Yeah. And... And I, and and from what I see when I read about this album, it, it's it's considered poorly recorded. But I may, maybe there's a a newer version that I'm listening to where they were able to get rid of some of the weak spots because to me it has that '70s vibe that I love, where the production, where every instrument sounds so clear and yeah. and well placed. Like there's so many '70s albums where there's so much room. And everything, guitar, bass, drums, vocals, everything is clearly heard. You could easily listen to a song and and just listen to the bass guitar in in one listening and then maybe switch back to just listening to a, one of the guitars. Like it's it's really well produced for I mean in for nineteen seventy four. So I don't know. But I liked it. Um it's it's really hard to not enjoy this album. I, I nodded my head along with it. A lot. Yeah, it's got to, a good to, groove. To be fair, uh, the the experience that I had, where I started from album one and moved all the way through, this was a really good beginning to me. Like I I would have been into this band in 1974. I I was like, all right, this is cool. Like it's just it it just sounds like a band doing their thing, and they sound confident. They sound like uh, uh, guys that already know how to do shit pretty goddamn well. They're just starting out and figuring out who they're going to be as a band. Um, but it is really like one of those things where if you enjoy seventies rock, but you don't really care what the band is, then rock is a really great album. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I do have to admit that, um, as a Judas priest album, it's very uneventful. It's just, it's yeah. just, it's good. It's not, it's not great. Um, and it, and it's in the the hodgepodginess that I mentioned earlier, it does give it kind of an unfocused feel, but um, I feel like that's kind of a it's kind of a nice quality about the album where it they were just sort of making the songs that came to them at the time and um, yeah not not amazing but not a horrible album at by any stretch of the imagination so that's my number fourteen Rockarola Rock. I don't know the lyrics to that song. Roller man. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That song's pretty cool. I don't know. It has a good has a good uh bounce to it. And it's so funny seeing this era, seeing hippie Rob Halford with long hair. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. Like cause I, I for for such a for such a like, you know, long hair style music, he is like the short haired like figurehead yeah. of that time. Like I feel like there was something to do with like early uh British metal bands, especially in the late seventies and early eighties, where like the whole band would have long hair except for the singer. Because the same thing with Iron Maiden with Paul Diano. Like That's true. Like it, it was almost like it was almost like a statement like I am I am king and these are my long-haired minions <laughs> or something. It's uh 
Yeah, I I don't know. It's just a funny little pattern I'd I noticed. W- but, I wonder uh, if it's just because he you know grew, growing his hair out, he realized it was it was thinning really early, and so he's just like, ah, fuck this, I'm gonna cut it short. Yeah, but then he grew it back for the turbo stuff, and and then like, wow, well, I, I, I mean, that grow yeah. back. I mean, wasn't it a yeah. little curly puff that he had or something going on? It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily long hair. I suppose his like hairline was like to the back of his head. So <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the period where it looked like he had combed everything back and sprayed it yeah. with hairspray. It was very <laughs> slick back, long haired guy in that period. We'll, yeah. we'll get to that period, but not in this episode, I don't think. Okay, so so I guess I'm at my I'm at my top pick for this episode. Yeah, number number thirteen. Yeah, number thirteen. Number thirteen. So I've gone with. Stained class. Wow. So it makes sense, but I was all like, surely he's going to have one of the Tim Ripper Owens albums in the bottom. <laughs> but, <laughs> but now, you know what? Now that I'm now that I'm saying that out loud, I'm like, of course not. Of course you don't. <laughs> so stained uh, class. Okay. For me, my big obstacle with this album was the production. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. And I agree. The the thing to me that that really sticks out is people like to hate on and justice for all for a lack of bass. Um, <laughs> hello. Yeah. <laughs> I give you ten years prior stained class, possibly the most trebly album in their catalog. Like everything there is, seems very held back. Like the produ- it's yeah. almost like when they recorded it the guitars were like on one and then they just, yeah, they, it's like, there's no, there's no room. There's no beefiness to anything. It's all very weak. Everything sounds quite fizzy, but like if I feel like if this album had, um, killing machine production, it would be way higher. Dude. dude, Yeah. Especially. So exciters, one of my favorite Judas priest songs, like it's, it's a song that it's, it, it's fucking it's it's like painkiller it's the beginning of an album where you're just like fuck yeah. this is the first song like it's they do that a lot there's a handful of albums where the first track on a judas priest album is fucking balls out great yeah um, yeah if it, if it had better production because even the, the strength of that song alone once it gets going i forget about the production like once that song's going i'm like oh fuck this is a great track yeah, I, su- I suppose for me, the the biggest the biggest thing for me with this album is is listening to it in one go. I kind of feel like like the production is like a diet version of what could have been. Yeah, it's like it's it's taken away all of the <laughs> all of the beef. Um, but I will say, uh, did you have a chance to check out Unleashed in the East? No, but I've I, I believe I've actually heard that before because I went through a, a phase. Um, several years back where I went and listened to all of the classic live albums like that yeah. one and, and no sleep till Hammersmith and all of those albums. And so I think I've heard it before and I, and I remember really enjoying it because I think it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a, there's a lot of energy on that, on that recording. And I feel what really gives um, Unleashed in the East such a power to it is the fact that these songs on these albums are fucking phenomenal but the 70s production is holding something back. Yeah. Once they're once they're on stage, however, and you get that live huge fucking stadium feel, that is when these songs really come to life. And I I 
I kick myself really for not exploring the live stuff like earlier in in my time of being a Judas Priest fan. But you know, goddamn these songs, especially the ones on Stained Class and some on um, Sad Wings of Destiny, they sound so much better live. And um, I suppose that brings me to my track by track on this album. Yep. Um, now, Exciter, speed metal is often traced back to this bad boy, and I can see why. Yeah, you know, me too. Me too. It, it's, it's a great opening track. It really kicks your ass. Uh, White Heat, Red Hot, you know, talk about one-two punch. Uh, you know, th- this bad boy keeps that vibe going. And then you get the controversial years later, Better By You, Better Than Me, uh, which actually has really good production. I feel like... I think this was like uh, the final song they did for the album and it was mixed differently or something and it sounds much better than the rest of the album. Yeah. Uh, and, and like an imp- and what I was going to say, you said controversial. So yeah, that was the song where they were taken to court because apparently it was rumored that these kids, yeah. these kids, they had a suicide pact, and it somehow was connected to this song that isn't even a Judas Priest song. It's, I mean, it's a cover yeah. song, <laughs> and so <laughs> um, that I, I believe that's the beginning. Around that time was the beginning of of the whole Tipper Gore thing, and and all of all these adults losing their shit over music, which was <laughs> fucking stupid. But oh um, god, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen the uh, court case footage of that? Uh, some of it's, it, yeah. It's fucking funny. Like, the, the judge knows how stupid it is. <laughs> and he's just sat there with his head in his hands like, can I go home yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, 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 tried, they tried to make so much rock music into evil music. Like, there's even a yeah. case, I remember, it may have been on a documentary where these were all included, but there was a case where they claimed that if you play another one bites the dust backwards, it's, it says, why don't you try marijuana or something yeah. like that? <laughs> and I'm like, this is so stupid. The fact that any judge in any court allowed it, I, I mean, I yeah. would have been, I would have thrown the shit out immediately, but that's, that's what was going on in the eighties folks. Yeah. It, oh, what a wild time to be, to be a rock band. <laughs> shit. I mean, I was, I was old enough at the time to see some of this stuff like on news and stuff. And, and as a kid being like, I don't understand, you know, yeah. it just seems like old out of touch people, um, complaining about shit, which I guess, you know, that's, that's a, <laughs> that's a trend that has not died. Apparently <laughs> old out of touch people are constantly getting their panties in a wad about shit. Yeah. Uh, it's it's i think the, the the funniest thing about it is it's a fucking cover like yeah. it's not even an yeah. original song <laughs> like um but yeah uh, aside from that you know it's got a great groove yeah. uh and and it just sounds it does sound better than than some of the other tracks on the record but uh going back into some of the other tracks we got the title track it's uh decent it's not the most memorable song but it's it's not bad uh Invader uh, begin. No, I'm sorry. I was doing Iron Maiden. <laughs> I've I've got a fun little Iron Maiden joke coming up in a in an episode coming soon, but I'm not going to tell you where it is. All right, cool. <laughs> That's going to be fun to fun to drop in, but yeah, um, yeah. Then you get Saints in Hell. What a fucking riff, you know that groove to it. 
savage, has a real swagger. It, you know, it's no wonder why this album is credited as being influential because they'd really refined something at this point. In contrast to Sad Wings of Destiny, which is a bit more experimental, this is a lot more straightforward. Like, yeah. ah, this is working for us. Let's do all of this stuff. Um, and then you get fucking Beyond the Realms of Death, which is an epic song, real standout for me. And then Hero's End has a pretty gnarly riff. You know, Lo Rob is really laying into those vocals and the breakdown section around two minutes in is surprisingly heavy for its time despite the thin production but yeah that is that is stained class coming in at number 13 cool for me released the year i was born in 1978 hey um but i mean obviously i didn't hear it back then <laughs> <laughs> all right so i guess that brings us to the final album we're going to talk about my number 13 yeah, now my number 13 in the first part of our Judas Priest uh, ranking. So, um, yeah, I'll just jump right into it. Uh, my, my number 13 is the 97 album Jugulator. 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 Okay. Jugulator. Um, <laughs> Jugulator. <laughs> um, it's, uh, this is uh, the first album out of two with Tim Ripper Owens. Clearly, I didn't like either one of these that much because they both end up in the <laughs> bottom um, third of the ranking. But this one, I mean, you have to give me some credit. Like, I put it above two early Judas Priest albums and two later-day Rob Halford albums. So it had things going for it that I liked. Um, first off, in my opinion, out of the two albums, Tim Owens sounds much better on this one. He sounds great on this yeah. album he's a great vocalist but this album is heavy like it is <laughs> it might be the heaviest judas priest album easily like it's yeah it's pretty brutal and the song jugulator like we were talking about with with exciter it is a fucking out of the gate ripper it yeah. is as as Mr. Tim Ripper Owens helps bring it bring it to to fruition, but um, also so once again I have to keep you know reiterating that I'm listening to all these albums in order, and at, we I get to Jugulator, and I hear an odd time signature, which I immediately go, have I heard an odd time signature in any Judas Priest song prior <laughs> to Jugulator? Because I don't think that I had. I don't think that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. there is one and it's really cool. Um, but so this album's fun. It's very nineties metal. Yeah. Uh, the, the guitar tone and the production's very nineties metal. The guitars are down tuned and there's a groove in a lot of the songs. Yeah. Um, clearly they were a band that often changed with the times, which you could say is a good thing or a bad thing. Cause I mean, I, I guess you could. You don't want a band to be completely out of touch all the time, but also a band altering who they are for the things that are popular seems a little bit lame. Um, and there's a bit of that on this album, but it it, it it's a it's a pretty goddamn good album. And um, really, I I almost feel like as much as I would gave some kudos to Tim Owens for his vocals. I think this album would have been better with Rob Halford singing on it. Cause I think that 
there's something about the combination of the kind of riffs that, um, uh, is it what Glenn Tipton and, uh, uh KK Downing, those yep. guys, the kind of riffs that they write and the guitar stuff they do seems like it fits really nicely with the tone of Rob Halford. I don't know what it is. And in this case, it felt like there was a separation where riffs that normally would be complemented by a vocal, they stand out and sometimes the riffs are a little bit weak because that's the thing that I'm going to say about Judas Priest is that as good as good as those guys are at playing guitar, they're not always that great at writing in interesting riffs. There's mm-hmm. a lot of the same sort of shit over and over again on a lot of albums and it's some of it's very generic and that does come out on this album. Um, and while it does have a little bit of a quality that does make it still sound a bit like Judas Priest, there's a lot of things where it sounds like a different band, other bands happening at the time. But I have to admit it's a noble effort to stay relevant in the late nineties That being said, the one thing that I thought of when I got to this album was I'm really glad they didn't release an album in the early 90s because a Judas Priest grunge album would have been fucking awful. (laughs) (laughs) So the fact that there was this gap from 1990 to 1997, I'm like, okay, cool. We we narrowly uh, uh, escaped (laughs) of having the Judas Priest grunge album, which I don't know, maybe you would have really enjoyed a Judas Priest grunge album. I I feel like it could have been an interesting listen, just like, (laughs) you know, just seeing, seeing them, seeing them trade in their, uh, fucking leather for like flannel shirts and just seeing well fucking fucking rob halford did that in fight you see him wearing a fucking flannel god don't get me started on fight (laughs) (laughs) nail to the gun (laughs) that song's that song's great but there's a i i hate that i it got blocked so i'm not able to play it on my old headbangers ball show but the video and the song immortal sin fucking horrible (laughs) like it is I've never seen somebody try so hard to be 90s in their look. There's even a dude with a fucking Dr. Seuss top hat on yeah. in the band. It's God, it's bad. Anyway, sorry. We're we're talking about Jugulator, which is which is uh not not Rob Halford. I do at all. not like green eggs and ham. <laughs> so so yeah, so um the reason why this is at the upper part of my bottom six um, is because like I said with Nostradamus, which I didn't like, at least we got something different in the, in the story of Judas priest. Mm. I love, I love the story of a band that has this kind of long um, fruitful career. I, I love where they go, even if it isn't good, like I'm entertained by the journey more than the quality of the song sometimes. Like, yeah. like if you're listening to all these albums in order, you follow Painkiller with Jugulator, and it's like, well, it it makes sense, but at the same time, I'm like, well, this is different enough to where I'm like, all right, I, I'm not hearing Painkiller Part 2 here. Yeah. Um, there's, there's elements in there, but um, it, at the end of the day, it was <clears throat> very enjoyable. And um, 
even with its weak points, I thought it was a pretty strong album. So that's why it's my number 13. Awesome. And that wraps us up for, <laughs> for part one. <laughs> Holy shit. We, we did oh it. Oh, my God. We managed to listen to all 18 albums. Which w- which was a hell of an undertaking. I had like I had two days off of work, and I literally devoted most of those two days just to having Priest on, whether it was in the background or intensively listening. I I feel like playing video games helped me a little bit, you know, because I I'm keeping my hands and eyes entertained while still really sinking in and and being able to hear the music still. Oh shit, dude! I was literally sitting in a chair with headphones <laughs> on and a notepad. I did not watch anything. All these albums—they got my full attention because I feel like a band like Judas Priest deserves that. For me, especially a guy that claims to not be a fan, now I can back it up. What you know? When we get to the end of these three parts, I'll make my assumption as to whether or not I'm a fan or not. But at least now I can back it up. Now yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'm not just some dude that's heard a dozen songs and doesn't like those dozen songs. I've now heard everything. And um honestly, it's 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 great because listening to stuff that maybe I even I don't connect with necessarily because I'm such a lover of heavy music and metal, it's it it's it almost like broadens my scope on everything that I love. Like, oh, cuz you you know, at the end of the day, Judas Priest was a very in- influential band, um, influential on bands that I love. Mm. So, you know, you can, I can talk shit about them all day if I wanted to, but I can't ever deny the importance of Judas Priest. Yeah. So. I'll have to rewatch that Immortal Sin video because I remember it being <laughs> pretty fucking bad. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> but I mean, but it's, it, I, I, I don't know. I got to see Fight. They the the first like huge concert I went to was Metallica, Candlebox, Suicidal Tendencies, and Fight. Holy shit! It was supposed, yeah. to, it was supposed to be Alice, Alice in Chains. Chains, but they dropped out. But I just remember Fight. So I was at that point I was like sixteen years old I think when I was yeah. at that concert, and I just remember Fight seeming like this band of dudes. I didn't even know that it was Rob Halford because I wasn't a Judas Priest fan, <laughs> and so it, I was just like. These seem like old dudes who are trying to write music that's cool now. Like even at sixteen, I was like, no, no. Anyway, so we, we <laughs> that's another that's for another, I guess, episode where we I don't know if we'll ever I, I, we might discuss fight, but how, what how many albums they do two? Like it's you know, I think it could be funny to do like a a, a really short discography, like like two albums, and just be like, hey, do you agree that? This one goes above this? Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe not. <laughs> Let's or, find out. <laughs> or we could do a top five side project albums from popular front men. You know, we could you know, throw some Bruce Dickinson in yeah. there. And, and uh, um, I mean, we could even do, do fucking Dio and shit. I don't know, you know, things like that. Holy shit, I guess Dio, yeah. Dio, Dio could probably be its own um, <laughs> thing. So fuck that. We'll do that eventually. But yeah, so yes, um, we have reached the uh, the end of part one of our three-part Judas Priest. Did I say it again? Judas Priest. I don't know why I have such a hard time saying Judas <laughs> Priest. Clearly, I'm not a Christian because the name Judas doesn't mean anything to me. I'm just like, 
I'm like Judas Priest because it's it almost like it's not even a word that I know that they're two different words. It just flows out like a <laughs> like a muscle memory kind of thing. Judas Priest. Um, so yes, um, that I hope you enjoyed this. Do you have anything to add? <laughs> You're laughing at me. Uh, no, I'm just, <laughs> um, I was just going to chime in and say I, I used to think the word cliff, like not as in like Cliff Burton, but uh, uh, like a cliff is in something you could fall off of. Uh, mm-hmm. like I used to call it a clift when I was a kid and yeah. for, for years I called it a clift. And then one day someone said, dude, are you saying clift? I was like, yeah. And they said, that's fucking weird. It's just cliff. There's no T. And I was like, I spent 10 years of my life thinking it was clift and no one corrected my dumb kid ass. <laughs> you, 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 you were, you were adding a T as opposed to subtracting a T. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just creating All problems right. for myself. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so um, so next next week we'll be coming back at you with number twelve through seven or something yeah. like that. I, I, I did I just do correct math in my head right there? I believe so. Wow, you heard it here, folks. First. I heard you heard it here first, folks. Oh, uh, we were doing so, so see, well. You see what just happened? You see what just happened? My brain was so overloaded doing math that I forgot how words worked in sentences. So on that note, let's fucking bid you adieu. Thank you very much for listening to Cranked and Ranked. Um, we, I guess we haven't, we haven't mentioned it in a while in a few episodes, but if you're um, – interested in other shit we do i'm on youtube under old head and uh eddie sparks is on youtube under eddie sparks who would have thought (laughs) (laughs) so um you can go check us out um but uh that's all i got you got anything else to add before we go uh not really (laughs) cool well then as usual i will i I, I do have a podcast i'm starting with my friend dan first yeah first episode is up on uh my channel it's about uh Angel Dust by Faith No More. Uh, it's kind of like this podcast, but we we kind of just dissect one album, and we both we kind of like alternate between picking uh, an album that I know and really like, and an album that he doesn't really know, and we kind of show each other stuff that we like, and we both review it between each other, and uh, it's cool. just a just a fun conversation piece. I'm I'm working on getting it on streaming platforms as well. That's that's yeah. That's in it the was works. A, it was a really fun listen. It's a good it, the two of you guys. It's it's an entertaining conversation for sure. Cheers, dude. Yeah, we we were in college together, and we've got a shitload of uh, memories and chemistry, and it's just it's just nice to get back in touch with people. So yeah, yeah. Cool. So yeah, go check that out on Eddie's uh, YouTube page. Um, if you're listening to this on YouTube, just head on over. I, usually on these episodes, if you go down to the description, I already have a link there to his page. So no no excuses. Okay, <laughs> so uh, that's the end uh, of uh, this episode of Cranked and Rank. We will see you again in a week. Eddie, take us out. Later, dude.